how many times does a fawn just die within 24 hours after an encounter? And that number was 10 out of 355. So at most, 10 fawns were killed. Yeah, out so of 36 to 1 is what I came up with. You got that, that a fawn has to encounter a coyote within a, within a kilometer 36 times before he's going to die. Rockcast is powered by Onyx Hunt, and for good reason. Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app in the industry. Stay tuned for a Rockcast promo code. Okay, Rockcast peoples, we are back here at Mule Deer Days in Sweetwater County, Wyoming. We are at the Sweetwater Event Center. Uh, Mule Deer Days, if you've uh, heard some of our other podcasts, this is put on by the Muley Fanatic Foundation in partnership with the Wyoming Game and Fish and also in partnership of uh, a group of researchers that I've been following for four or five years at uh, the Monteith Shop. Uh, go follow them on Instagram, Monteith Shop. Uh, they are researchers led by Kevin Monteith. Uh, he, he, he has a doctorate, and, and he leads a group of researchers, and they study all things uh, ungulate populations. Uh, obviously, we're at Mule Deer Days, so we're specifically talking about Mule Deer. And I'm here with Travis Hobbs, not really born a hunter. We call him <laughs> on Instagram. You can go follow his page, too. You probably already are. And uh, we went to a, a seminar yesterday. And uh, we met one of the researchers from the Monteith shop. This was uh, Mitch Brunette. And uh, we, we want to get him on the podcast. He had a really interesting um, Clarify topic. some of our bad memories, yeah, too. Yeah, okay, yeah Travis <laughs> and I, if you, if you happen to listen to our podcast on the uh, synopsis, uh, the, the summary of uh, Mule Deer Days, we had a little bit of the data wrong. Uh, but we never promise anything when we get on a podcast. So, uh, anyways, Travis, uh, uh, tell our listeners, what, what, why did we go to the seminar? It had a really interesting name. <laughs> so, yeah, so I immediately, it was rabbits and mule deer, and, like, wh- how's the population affected when rabbit numbers are low? And, like, I walked in, honestly, I was c- convinced. I was like, oh, yeah, they're going to tell me. So, yeah, when rabbit populations are low, that there's going to be more predation on mule deer and mule deer fawns and everything else. And, like, <laughs> I, it definitely wasn't the, that wasn't what happened. Like, I, I learned a lot more in that, and Mitch will dive into that. And it, it's just cool to talk about and some of these things that I think, as hunters sometimes we assume so many things or you assume things and even he'll talk about even they kind of thought that what they were going to find was going to be and their findings were different than what they assumed was going to happen so it's very cool to talk about this stuff and like that's why these research projects and just the some of this information coming from gps callers and some of this stuff that's coming out like these things were not we were not able to do these just 15 years ago like this is game-changing information and and it it can get so serious like we can look at so many different things it's very cool and to talk to these guys that are on the ground doing this stuff and looking at these different things with these the aid of gps collars we're going to talk about coyote overlap in habitat it's very cool to see what these gps collars are doing so yeah it's it's going to be awesome all right man good intro and yeah if you go to any coffee shop 
shop in the West, and you start talking about uh, uh, what we call neonate mule deer. Those are the fawns, okay? That's a scientific term that these guys use for fawns. Uh, you start talking about that, and, and you'll hear this. I don't know if it's a rumor. I don't know if it's a legend. I don't know what it is, but people automatically assume that when the rabbit population is low, that these coyotes are hammering the deer, all right? So when we went to the seminar yesterday, eyes were opened. This is great. And this is the nature of research. And research is an ongoing, living, breathing thing. And so um, that's why we do it. So remember, what, what, what you learn isn't permanent because we, we continue to add to the data set and we continue to, to, to look at other studies. But I think this one is, is worth putting in your ear. And uh, so I want to introduce you today to Mitch Brunette of the Monteith Shop. Welcome to the podcast, Mitch. Thank you. Tell us a little bit about you. You were, you were in your, doing your grad work when you did this study, right? That's right. Yeah. So I was working on my, my master's project here um, in southwestern Wyoming uh, as part of the Monte Shop University of Wyoming here. Yep. Mm -hmm. All right. All right. And so when, uh, what, what was the official name of this study? So this is the Deer Elk Ecology Research Project. And so my, my work is a little outside of kind of the, the main scope of that project at looking at deer elk interactions. Um, my focus was a little more kind of predator prey related. Uh, associated with that using some of the data we had here on collared mountain lions and coyotes in this system. Can you kind of talk about that, the the deer project? We talked a little bit about it with Corzy. Can you kind of dive into just a little bit of details on what that was kind of looking at? Just kind of a broad overview. Yeah, I mean, so trying to look at competition between deer and elk. So the elk numbers have increased in this study area over time. Mule deer are kind of struggling and, and going down over that same period. So trying to understand some of the nuances associated with this. And, and that's, again, it's kind of outside the scope of where my, yeah, but, my focus mm -hmm. yeah, has right. been. Um, but yeah, so looking at competition for food resources, as well as potentially how predation could be mediated uh, by the increasing number of elk as well. So more elk can support more mountain lions and might lead to increased predation on our mule deer yeah. Yeah, great, great. And so, but your part of the study, specifically what got us to the seminar, somebody's doing your marketing. They did a great job because it didn't have on that big, uh, that, that thing you had on Instagram, it didn't have some boring name, deer and elk research. Yeah, what did it well, let's admit it. Yawn, yeah. you know, that's that's what the scientists, yeah, uh, stuff like, uh, guys like. But the, 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 the official name of this seminar, it was great. What, what was it? Do coyotes snatch deer when rabbits disappear? There you yeah. go, man. <laughs> you had me Hello. Okay. <laughs> so anyways, that's what this is about. And uh, um, so, uh, why did you do the study? I think you've already answered that to study the the the, the, the relationship between um, uh, predation and and those things. But, but but go ahead and clarify it. Why did you pick that topic for your study? Right. So yeah, as you've said, I mean, there's there's some level of expectation that with rabbits being typically the primary prey of coyotes that as rabbit abundance decreases and that food source disappears on the landscape, the coyotes might shift towards targeting mule deer fawns. So that's been looked at a bit in a few different study areas, not, not necessarily that much uh, relative to that system and, and particularly with mule deer, certainly with white-tailed deer, uh, that's been looked at a bit. Anyway, so we wanted to yeah, apply that to our study area, figure out do we have a decrease in rabbit abundance that might lead to these shifts and Let's kind of just understand more of the nuance associated with that. Do we actually see that shift that a lot of people expect to be the case? 
Gotcha. And that the key word there you just mentioned, nuance. In all of this research, there's always these nuances. That's why I said that, that research is a living, breathing thing, and it, and it changes. That's why we do it. That's why there's a scientific community, and, and, and the whole scientific method is, is, you know, these guys go out, they do, this, they do this research, and then we look at it, we beat it up in the scientific community. Maybe somebody else does a, a, a research project that's similar, and they find something different, and they get, they get together and compare notes. So what I'm trying to do is make your mind flexible when you're taking stuff in. You know, he's not here to say that the coyote, coyote predation is not related to rabbit populations. We're not, we're not saying that. So just remember, it's, re research is always nuanced. I made a mistake as a young man. Sometimes I just take things black and white. You know, and then five years later, somebody's saying something different. I'm like, no, no, no way. No way. The research is in. No, the research is still coming in. And I think that's a really common thing with a lot of hunters, too, is it's easy to, we, we, you hear something and then, you know, and that's gospel for so long and that's the way it is. And there's all this new stuff coming out all the time. And like we talked about, like the GPS collars, like the back in the day using VHF telemetry type stuff versus what we're doing now. Yeah. It's, it's, it's yeah, not, we're it's checking it's, on it's, them once a month. Yeah, you know? yeah, back in the day, yes. <laughs> exactly. And now they can literally, I mean, upload um, live, almost live time locations of these animals. So just, it's so cool. Mitch, one thing, could you talk about where the, the study was, where at, kind of just a general area? The Rockcast is powered by Onyx Hunt, and for good reason. Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app in the industry. It's the exclusive app of many of the Rockslide staff, including myself. Some of the features of the Onyx Hunt app are nationwide public and private land boundaries, topographic and 3D maps, track your route, location, and elevation profile, waypoints, lines, and area shapes, save maps for offline use, and create custom map layers. While many of the competitors have similar features, I find one of the biggest benefits in using the Onyx Hunt app is that my friends have it. Nothing more painful than trying to share a waypoint with someone who doesn't have the app. Another thing I've noticed with Onyx, it's pretty much glitch-free. Once you learn how to use the app, you will experience very few, if any, glitches in the app. We find on the Rockslide Forum, the guys that are having glitches with Onyx or any of the apps, they just don't know how to use it. Once you learn how to use Onyx, it will be there for you. Some of the member benefits you get with being with Onyx are top rut draw odds. They just added that in 2023. Top rut provides some of the most comprehensive draw odds information in the industry. Onyx is also offering constant upgrades like track trim. When they released that last summer, it really cleaned up my app because I was the guy that would go back to camp with my app on and walk around camp for two hours. And then when I would notice my track, it had these big scribble lines in it. Now you can trim that off. They're constantly offering similar upgrades. So if you're ready to make the jump, head over to onyxmaps.com, use the Rockcast promo code, Rockcast, R-O-K-C-A-S-T, save yourself 20%. Yep. Yeah. So this is southwestern Wyoming, just south of Rock Springs, where we're at now, down kind of to that tri-state border with Colorado and Utah. Cool. All right. How big was the study area? Ooh, I'd have to. I don't know if I can give you a number as far as the extent of it, but it covers, yeah, kind of most of that area south of us here, up to the Green River on the west side. Um, That's big. 
yeah, it's, so it's a good, it's a good size of square area. miles, right? Yeah, it's a pretty, it's a pretty big area. Gotcha. Yeah, I, did, I didn't quite catch that in the in the presentation yesterday. Okay, so just a couple questions I had on it. How many coyotes did you have collared? Thirty-nine over the course of the study. Right, and if a coyote died, did you go out and uh, capture another one to keep it at thirty-nine? Uh, yeah. So across the years, no. So yeah. So thirty-nine were not on air at one time ever that was the total, total number. was 39 yes yeah. so there's some variation in that over the years all sure. right and then uh how many uh fawns were collared so total um we had 201 fawns across the whole course of the study but as you've mentioned we're increasingly getting these new technological advances so we only had these gps collars in 2018 and 2019 and that only consisted of 95 fawns so 95 fawns that most of this work is based off of as far as leveraging that GPS. All right, but from what I understand with, with, with fawn collar studies, I've been involved with them uh, since the early 90s. That's why I asked you about the Hurley study because I actually worked on that one that was in the Rockland Valley and uh, back with the VHS collars. And, and from what I understand, 50 collared fawns is, is, is a significant database, right? That's enough to kind of pick up on, well, let's call them nuances. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I would agree. 50 is, is certainly a, a, a decent sample size. Yeah, and, and there's variation across these things. You know, typically in these ungulate studies, you're going to have more animals collared than when you look at carnivore studies and, and things like that. But yeah, I think certainly we have a, a pretty good data set here, um, especially to have GPS collars on as many fonts as we did. All right. So, what were your findings then? Um, and, and we're going to send people to your to your website. I know a lot of you guys just can't type in www.https forward slash forward slash. But you're all on Instagram. You're probably on Instagram right now. Go to the Monteith shop. Uh, follow that page. You'll be you'll be able to link up to their website on there. But uh, what what? It, but the big overview. Not every little uh, finding of the study. But the, but the big overview. What were your findings on deer mortality, specifically fawn mortality, versus the fluctuating rabbit population? Yeah. So honestly, that that wasn't necessarily like a, a critical component to this study was necessarily looking at survival of this period. We're kind of curious about the, the spatial risk associated with that. And, and certainly understanding survival is useful, but there, there's limitations in some of our data associated with that. So we we're able to leverage more of these, these spatial risk patterns. And what do you mean by spatial risk pattern? So as far as the habitat that mountain lions, or not mountain lions, sorry, coyotes use, the habitat that fawns use and how do those overlap and how do they overlap at the same points in time so when are these encounters happening what contributes to encounters between coyotes and fawns and what happens during those encounters so that's what i'm talking about when i say spatial risk okay and yeah so we're interested in that during this decrease in rabbit abundance so what we looked at here is first establishing was there a decrease in rabbit abundance and we found that there was quite a, a major decrease throughout the course of the study reaching the lowest it had been in the previous 35 years uh, in 2020, which is the last year of our analysis. So across that, we, we start by figuring out what habitat are fawns using, what habitat are rabbits using, leveraging our, our GPS locations for each of those. And then we follow up by looking at how coyotes respond to those different habitat types during that decrease in rabbit abundance. Okay. And what we saw there um, across that decrease, well, first off, the primary thing that determined coyote use of the landscape was rabbit habitat. So again, consistent with that expectation, with that being the primary prey, coyotes seem to be keying into that. But then during so what the, you're saying, that was, their, that was their preferred habitat, was where rabbits lived. 
Yeah, across so across the covariates that we're putting in those analyses, that's that's the primary predictor for where coyotes are, and and pretty dramatically so. So if you yeah, if you plot like the distribution of coyote locations across the study area relative to the range of rabbit habitat, most coyote locations are happening in the areas right. that are that, predicted to be best quality rabbit. That's habitat. the primary prey. Right. They're going to stay where the groceries are. Right. Okay, right. gotcha. Exactly. So during that decrease in rabbit abundance, we saw that selection for rabbit habitat decreased as well. So that does indicate that there might be some level of a shift going on consistent with our expectations with cows potentially shifting to some other prey, some alternative prey here. But when we look at it with respect to fawn habitat, counter to what we expected going into this, we saw essentially the same pattern. So selection for fawn habitat was highest when rabbits were high in abundance and was lowest when rabbits were low in abundance. That's so, very interesting. So it's opposite of, of what we, of coffee what, shop biology. Yeah. <laughs> what, 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 I, yeah. I followed all that, <laughs> and I'm kind of slow, but if I followed all that, you're saying when rabbit abundance was low, coyotes occupying fawning habitat was low. Correct. Wow. It's very interesting. <laughs> now, I, I will say, so selection analyses can be a little bit misleading. I think it's helpful to look at it from a use perspective. So selection accounts for use relative to availability, which I, I won't get into too much, but use is just essentially where do those coyote locations occur relative to fawn habitat. And across that, even though we saw that like slight decrease in selection, basically from a meaningful perspective, there wasn't much variation across that decrease in rabbit abundance. But basically coyotes were not keying into fawn habitat at any point, even during lowest rabbit abundance. They weren't avoiding it either. Essentially across that range of fawn habitat, coyotes were equally likely to be in any of those areas. The, their, their numbers basically on the landscape didn't, they didn't focus on any particular habitat. Like it just seems like it was pretty random, their right. location yeah. throughout different um prey or uh yeah prey yeah it was just that they were kind of all over the place yeah a, a good way to think of it i think is if you have the study area with a range of fawn habitat quality so some's low some's high quality and if you have a bunch of coyotes in your hand and you throw them out in that study area you'd expect an equal number of coyotes to land in each of those areas and that's basically what we saw great point locations. Gotcha. Um, okay so then one other thing you had talked about in there is that um, you, you came up with a ratio of coyote encounters to fawn deaths. And it was for every 355 encounters, there was only 10 fawn deaths. At a maximum. Um, so, our, again, some of our cost-specific mortality data can be somewhat limited in these studies. So how we looked at that was how many times does a fawn just die within 24 hours after an encounter and that number was 10 out of 355 so at most 10 fawns were killed yeah, so out of 36 to 1 is what i came up with you got that okay that a fawn has to encounter a coyote within a within a kilometer 36 times before he's gonna die okay it was, that was like and that encounter yeah and that encounter space i think it's careful to use that that yeah it was looking at a kilometer yeah which is of, pretty that's, it doesn't yeah. even necessarily mean the coyote saw yeah. For sure, and, and that's an important point. Yeah, yeah. The, the spatial extent of those encounters is going to affect that. So if you have 20-meter yeah, encounters, then very likely fawns are going to die at 
a higher proportion of those encounters than yeah, what we right, see in this right. study. Obvi- yeah, obviously. And in 10 years, who knows, maybe that GPS technology probably will be at that point where we could be that like accurate. It, yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's Rabbits very cool. Rabbits getting killed in, in real time, and we have video. Yeah, br- br- yeah I mean, some of these... We know the coyote. It's Wiley. Yeah, Wiley. one thing you've got to do, get on their Instagram and look at some of these live really? images yeah. that they're getting off these collars. Like, it is incredible. You're live actually video. seeing deer... Um, pick nursing. certain flowers off of a plant like like it's amazing fawns nursing like it's unbelievable some of this stuff it's just very cool that we didn't know before yeah, exactly so you guys are right on the, on the on the cutting edge of it but right back uh, to the to the to base, basically 36 encounters so basically when a coyote got within a kilometer of of a known location of a fawn it took 36 of those encounters before one 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 fawn one radio collared fawn was killed correct yeah. Okay. Yeah. So at, at, yeah, at that space. Yeah, I mean, it's you can do what you want with that number, but it, but but at least they have the data, and then but over the over the the length of the study, that um, herd of fawns, we'll call them, that fawn population, in, uh, in, encountered a fifty-five percent mortality. Is that what you over? Yeah, over the full term, including. Um, yeah, including our earlier data in 2016 and 2017, prior to having that the GPS callers on uh-huh. phones. Yeah. Okay, and so for for those of you, depends on what order you listen to these podcasts in. Uh, Travis and I were, gave an overview podcast of the whole mule deer days, and you you'll hear us throw out that number 77 percent mortality. Uh, when when Mitch got back into the day, he clarified that today that, that it was actually 55 percent. But 55 percent mortality over four years—that's still pretty high. I mean, it's not it's not low. Fair? Uh, yeah, it's kind of, I'd say it's it's around the middle of what you might expect for these populations. It's not necessarily, I wouldn't say it's not, it's necessarily like a cause for great concern. There's there's so much that goes into it. Sure, these. there is. There is. I guess in my world, just listening to guys like you for 30 years, I always want fawn mortality under 50% is what kind of, I mean, you know, and again, that's a nuance too. You know, it's just, so when I heard 55, okay, that's only 5% more than, than what I'm thinking, which is way better than the 77, I thought you said. So, so anyways, that's why it's important to, to, to really go read this research uh, f- for yourself. And uh, there, there was one other thing. I didn't put it on the questions here. I won't ambush you here. But, uh, but when you were talking about the defense mechanisms of the does and, and, and how they're fighting off or increasing increasing the survival of these fawns. Talk about that for just a minute. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, so I think that's a major component in determining the number of fawns that are actually are actually killed during these encounters. So certainly, yeah, across those encounters, there's variation in, yeah, one, whether coyotes even detect these fawns, two, whether they engage in an attack once they have detected a fawn. And then once that attack happens, yeah, there, there's this secondary component in determining whether that fawn's captured or not. And one of the, the critical factors, very likely, that some other studies have looked at based off of observational work is, is yes, active defense by maternal females. So the use of forelimbs to essentially yeah, kick off attacking coyotes and, and defend their fawns, as well as the use of topographic positioning to kind of get the upper hand from a terrain perspective during those encounter scenarios. You mentioned something I thought was really interesting yesterday because you've looked at some of the whitetail data. The whitetail fawns are better at running away from coyotes. The mule deer fawns aren't, but their mom. So therefore, their moms come in and and they kick some ass with those four hooves. Yeah, yeah. So again, th- that's not my own work, but yeah, based off of previously published uh, works. Yeah. So mule deer fawns when they flee during these risky encounter scenarios, that actually seems to increase their rate of predation by coyotes. And 
for whitetails, that is actually an effective strategy, which are whitetail fawns are typically faster and, and that likely evades in or helps them to evade those scenarios. It's very interesting yeah, stuff. Love it. So Mitch, if people want to read your whole study, can, can they, can they uh, find it on the Monteith shop Instagram page? Are there links there? Or do they got to go to the full, the full Monteith shop website? Uh, yeah, it's probably not on the website or the Instagram, honestly, but yeah, so there's the first portion of this that doesn't get into the account encounter stuff is published. Um, that's spatiotemporal predictions of the alternative prey hypothesis, predator habitat used during decreasing prey abundance. I told you it was a research. Write all that down. Quite a, <laughs> quite a title, yeah. Do <laughs> <laughs> coyotes snatch deer when rabbits disappear? <laughs> yeah, has, has a bit better ring to it, doesn't but it? Hey, Google's pretty dang smart. I bet you if you go out there and, and uh, Google Mitch Brunette, B-R-U-N-E-T, uh, you, you can find this stuff. And if you and like I keep saying these podcasts and i think travis agrees with me if you want to be a better deer hunter you, you need to open your mind and you need to read and you need to get involved with some of this stuff and support some of this research that's going on yes well an event like this is super cool that we can come down and i mean these, these guys uh can you talk about your booth out here a little bit and oh, that yeah. people can kind of come and visit like and kind of so these guys have done multiple seminars there's more today you can come and visit with these guys ask them questions they're super available i think that's a super cool feeling like compared to a lot of um, expo, I, I, I different seminars, expos. Expo. Yeah, you don't get to talk to some of these like guys it. like this, and they're available. It's very cool how they kind of structured this out, and I, I think that's cool. Yeah, um, yeah, we've got a ton of awesome folks here that I have the privilege of working with, uh, spanning a, a bunch of different projects. Yeah, as far as working on mule deer in the Wyoming range, bighorn sheep, uh, a little further north there, and yeah, across other areas of of Wyoming as well. As well as other other areas in California as well, we've got other folks uh, kind of across different areas of Western U.S. and yes, certainly a bunch of people that are very knowledgeable about their study areas that have had these longitudinal projects for numbers of years now, and are yeah really on top of that data and and would love to talk to folks that are interested in hearing about mule deer survival and other things. And one thing too, I was going to ask you, like, so say there's a couple young kids listening to this and they're lot into like, Hey, maybe this is the field I want to get into. How, like, talk a little bit about coming up through the university of Wyoming and like the programs that are available there. Cause you guys are like state of the art. You're one of the best programs in the country as far as some of this stuff. And it's very cool that that's happening in Wyoming. And for anybody that's in the Western United States or anywhere in this country, it's super cool that you guys like are available. Yeah, I mean, I'd, yeah, I'd recommend that you get involved however you can, whether that's helping out with Wyoming Game and Fish if you're in Wyoming or getting involved with uh, folks at a university. Um, certainly, our group does a bunch of outreach to, to get young people involved as well, and we'd love to see them come to events like this. And, yeah, I, I'd encourage people to, you know, get out there, get your hands dirty. The more experiences you have, the easier it is to kind of progress in this field, and, and you'll see how, how you fit into it as well. So. All right, so for that, for that younger crowd, they're going to look for you on TikTok. Are you guys on TikTok? <laughs> Not to my knowledge. I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know what a TikTok is. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, you, you, you can find all you need at uh, Monteith Shop on Instagram. Go from there. Mitch, your first podcast, man, you killed it. You did great, man. Perfect. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, you thank you. Thank you.